This is the Good News Report, where we look past the fear-mongering of the establishment media to hear of all of the victories being won on a daily basis. Let's begin. Well, welcome back, everyone, to a new Good News Report. Today, we have quite a few pro-life victories. This isn't solely going to be a pro-life podcast episode, but there's just so many things happening that I wanted us to discuss. There's stuff happening with the Supreme Court. There's stuff happening with abortion pill, abortion uh, speech in general being protected. There's so many good things happening on that front, but there's also many other things happening that we're also going to discuss and First off, I kind of wanted us to discuss a Supreme Court case, which is going to help settle a 22-year-old conflict over abortion drugs. And the abortion drug in question is called Mifeprex. It is what we're just going to refer to now as either an abortifacient or the abortion pill. Now, what the mainstream media is painting this whole case as is the Supreme Court determining policy around whether the abortion pill or abortifacients can be distributed and or accessible by Americans. That is not the case. This is not the case. That is a policy issue. So don't feed into the mainstream media when you see headlines that this is actually the case at hand. No, the case is holding the FDA accountable because there are four medical associations who are alleging that the FDA's original approval of Mifeprex, which was back in 20, uh, 2000, and its decisions to eliminate safety rules for using it violated the APA, which is the Administrative Procedures Act. So that is the basis of this case, holding the FDA accountable, okay? It's just like abortion or Roe v. Wade being overturned by the Supreme Court. It was unconstitutional from the get-go anyway when it came into play. But... It did not get rid of abortion in America. What happened is that it rightfully returned the right of states to determine their own abortion law. That is constitutional. So we're going back to reversing bad bad legislation or bad cases by the Supreme Court. And we're making things right. This is proper procedure. And those on the left and even on the right of the aisle are trying to paint this as if this is the Supreme Court going wonk. And it's not. This is the Supreme Court making things right. This is why we had to have constitutionalists on the Supreme Court. And thank God Donald Trump put them in play. But this is why this is of such significance, because we need judges to uphold the Constitution at all costs. And so returning Roe v. Wade, when that was overturned, returning the right to determine abortion policy to the states, that was the right thing to do. Holding the FDA accountable for potentially violating the APA, that is necessary and of benefit to all Americans, whether people on the right or left like it or not. That is constitutional and that is proper procedure. So with that out of the way. This, this case is actually about whether agencies like the FDA that make decisions with potentially an immense, significant, enormous impact on Americans' lives, if they're actually following the law. That's, that, that's not being really talked about with regards to this case. So this is where we have to actually dig into details and not just believe the headlines that are pushed at us. So with regards to this case, a fifth, the Fifth Circuit held on in August, I believe, of 2023, last year, that the FDA had violated the APA by dropping 
long-standing safety rules for obtaining and using this abortifacient called mifeprex. And um, there's also a drug called mifeprestone, which is more so known about. But mifeprex, for example, was approved for use only in the first seven weeks of pregnancy and only after obtaining a prescription from a physician with specific training to handle certain complications. Okay, now if we talk about mifeprex, the FDA expressed concern about that drug safety from the start. And initially, they actually prohibited its importation for personal use because of the significant risks of using that drug without close physician supervision. But like I just talked about with mifeprex, in order to utilize that drug, there has to be one, a prescription from a physician with specific training in order to handle those complications. Now, mifeprex is a drug that could be dispensed only in person by a certified provider. And the the process for using it required three in-person office visits and a physician reporting of all medical complications. And these safety rules remained in place for, what was it, 15 plus years. Now, this is where interesting things come to play. The Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act provides for the filing of citizen petitions asking the FDA to change or revoke or take certain actions with response to decisions they've already made. And there's three organizations, including two medical associations, which actually filed a petition, a citizen petition, back in 2002, asking the FDA to revoke its approval of Mifeprex and to do a full audit on the studies which they approved the drug by. And the FDA didn't even respond to this citizen petition for 14 years, which is insane. 2016, the citizen petition was denied and Mifeprex, the REMS around Mifeprex was revised. And so instead of having it, like I said, within the seven, for seven weeks of pregnancy where the drug was permitted to be used, they extended the drug's use to 10 weeks. And they allowed non-physicians to prescribe and administer it. And then they took it down from three visits to an office down to a single visit to an office in order to obtain the drug. And they dropped the requirement for doctors to report non-fatal medical complications. So they just paved a very easy road forward for the abortion industry to abuse more women and to put more lives, not just babies' lives, but women's lives in danger. So now we see moving forward, that all the way up until now, the Supreme Court is now going to hear this issue with regards to Mifeprex and potentially hold the, I pray to God that they hold the FDA accountable for reducing these safety measures for women obtaining as well as holding people accountable so that those administering the drug, I pray that they all go out of business anyway, that this drug is not available because it kills people in the womb and outside of the womb But I hope that these people are held accountable at the FDA, that there are charges filed and that people feel the sting of this because this has been a a bad policy and the FDA needs to uphold for the sake of everybody who, who looks to the FDA and goes by their regulations. I pray that they're held accountable on every single account. Next up, we have a major pro-life victory. Alabama's Supreme Court affirms that life begins at fertilization. I don't even know why we have to have this conversation nowadays. Like, we say that we're such a progressive society, 
based upon science and yet <laughs> it's 2024 and we're talking about when life begins. This has been known for eons and yet here we are talking about this and in the Supreme Court of Alabama we have to determine this but hey here we are stating facts and claiming them as victories because in a nonsensical society where everything is topsy-turvy we are claiming this as a victory <laughs> for common sense but also because it is pretty a pretty big deal because we have children's lives that are going to be protected and futures that are going to be able to be realized. So the lawsuit, which resulted in this ruling by Alabama Supreme Court that human embryos are indeed children was initiated by three different couples. And this is kind of a tragic story. So the tragedy was, you know, beauty from ashes kind of a story. So just go along with this. This court case was initiated by these three couples in a wrongful death lawsuit against the Center for Reproductive Medicine and Mobile Infirmary Medical Center. My word, you couldn't pick a longer name. For the accidental destruction of their embryos. So it's pretty darn sad how this came to be. These unborn children died when a patient in the fertility clinic accessed the storage area where the couple's embryos were, grabbed them, and then accidentally dropped them. The parents of these children made the case that the tragedy was covered under Alabama's wrongful death of a minor act. Very interesting way of going about this. Alabama's Justice Jay Mitchell gave the majority opinion which held that an unborn child under the Alabama Supreme Court constitutes a minor child under the state's wrongful death statute, regardless of the stage of embryotic or fetal development. And in a rather fascinating and barely covered portion of this case is how neither the plaintiffs nor the defendants contested this understanding. That was so shocking to me to read that. Usually when there's a case like this where the determinant is either going to side more pro-life or anti-life, you generally see some sort of, of contention or disagreement on this issue that especially an unborn child would be determined or constitutes a minor child. So this was fascinating to me. But the case goes on. Now, section... 3606 of Alabama's constitution quotes this. I love this. It acknowledges, declares, and affirms that it is the public policy of this state to recognize and support the sanctity of unborn life and the rights of unborn children, including the right to life, as well as to ensure the protection of the rights of the unborn child in all manners and measures lawful and appropriate. Oof. That's so beautiful. I, lo I love reading good policy language. Now, additional to this were some very controversial statements. We all know I love controversy. Um, but statements by some of the justices. And one of those statements was by Justice Jane Mitchell, who stated this, that the sweeping and unqualified wrongful death of a minor act applies to all unborn children, regardless of their location. It applies to all children born and unborn, he says, without limitation. It is not the role of this court, being the Alabama Supreme Court, to craft a new limitation based on our view of what is or is not wise public policy. That is especially true, whereas here, the people of this state have adopted a constitutional amendment directly aimed at stopping courts from excluding unborn life from legal protection. Oof, so good. Chief Justice Tom Parker then gave the concurring opinion, which had those on the left 
up in arms because he discussed an amendment that came, this same amendment that came into place in 2018. And that is the previous uh, quote from, I don't know, like a minute ago that I stated. And the predominant issue that leftists had with Justice Parker's opinion was with his use of the word sanctity. Justice Parker said this, that sanctity cannot be understood in anything other than a religious context, namely the Judeo-Christian tradition. And he noted how the word sanctity of human life is also a concept that is rooted in the creation of man being made in the image of God. And all throughout, he, he quoted tons of scriptures, as well as famous sayings by religious figures. And he pointed to the book of Jeremiah in the verse which states, When I had not formed you in the womb, I knew you. This is in, <laughs> this is in, in a concurring opinion in the Alabama Supreme Court by a justice. This is incredible to see. Now, the left came out, obviously in force, decrying both the case itself, which is a kind of no-duh thing to happen, but also Parker's use of scripture in his concurrence. By trying to paint those involved in this whole case, of trying to seek, of seeking to bring forward a theocracy, <laughs> whilst using their ever so popular and almost like wannabe smear of Christian nationalism to stigmatize the case and the ruling. How bizarre is that? Now, regardless of the attacks, this is what we know to be true. All men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Do you recognize where that's from? It's stated in our nation's founding documents. And even though many of America's founders were not even Christians, they understood this fundamental truth. And they had a knowledge of the Bible and of the Judeo-Christian worldview and perspective. And so this is something that that clearly those on the left do not understand. And that's partially disturbing because if you believe that your rights are not inalienable, that they are given to you by man, they can be so easily taken away by man. But if you believe in natural law and you believe in the natural order of things, you understand that God gives rights. If a government is not accountable or understands that they are accountable to God for the protection of those rights and they believe they can take them away, then these populations in a very vulnerable position and that it, that serves nobody but those who wield their power and at that point by violence and by brutality. So all that to say, this is a very, very good case and I'm really, really happy to see it come forward. Next up, we have two teachers from California who were being forced to lie to parents about their students' gender identity. And they are suing Governor Newsom as well as the Attorney General of California because they claim that there is this policy in place which violates their First Amendment rights to free speech and free exercise of religion. Now, this all came about because a school district procedure was put in place that prohibits teachers from disclosing and I quote, the fact that a student identifies as a new gender, as if that was even possible, or wants to be addressed by a new name or new pronouns during the school day. And this policy's name gives it right away. This should be red flags and trigger bells for everybody. It's called the parental exclusion policy. <laughs> like, how much more obvious do you have to be? How are there only two teachers speaking out about this? This is insane. Now, back in April of 2023... The two teachers worked at Rhinecon uh, Middle School in Escondido. I'm probably butchering that name. And their names are Elizabeth Mirabelli and Lorianne West. And they are the two which filed this lawsuit claiming that this parental exclusion policy 
forces educators like themselves to lie to parents by hiding the transgender status of their children from them. What a terrible position to be put in as, as teachers. Like, this is so brutal. Now, a U.S. District Court judge, Roger T. Benitez, called the policy a trifecta of harm. Oh, so there's there's somebody with some common sense. And he also granted a preliminary injunction so as to prevent the school district, which these two teachers came from, from enforcing this parental exclusion policy onto teachers. Now, in an interview with Paul Jana, the teacher's lawyer from the Thomas More Society, he stated this, that the governor is the boss and has ultimate responsibility for setting education policy for those under his supervision and that the Rikon Middle School and the Escondido Union School District do not operate in a vacuum. The California Constitution provides that education is ultimately a matter of state responsibility, he says. Discussing further this case on Fox News, Elizabeth Mirabelli said this, A policy was rolled out to all teachers that required them, when meeting and speaking with parents, to withhold critical information from parents about their child's mental and emotional health. I would be furious. Furious. She also said, that she would have to refer to a child by one set of names and pronouns in front of parents and then during the school day change to another name and another set of pronouns that parents weren't aware of. So basically, I was teaching this child to live a double life. And above and beyond just telling a child that it's okay to live a double life, you're showing them that you, being the teacher, are the somewhat safer individual or adult in their life, even above and beyond their parents. How sick and twisted is that? This all ties back to what is called comprehensive sexuality education. I have another podcast um, episode in the past that I did on that. But it's all about lying to parents and telling children that their parents aren't safe to converse with or to tell things to. And instead, making those agents of the state, being those in government schools, being government teachers, that they're the safe ones that children should be relying upon. How twisted is that? Now, this case, it clearly adds to a litany of additional cases that have been popping up all across the United States, which only further solidifies a very disturbing trend, I would say, happening in our schools. Not only are children being put in uncomfortable and verifiably wrong situations by the teaching of, I would say, in a nice way, corrupt materials, which is leading them to gender confusion. But as we are now witnessing, teachers are also being put into positions which are unjust and blatantly in violation of their God-given rights, which we had just talked about, the need for natural rights. Because if these teachers didn't have God-given rights to freedom of speech, freedom of association, freedom of religion, the government could just mm, snap its fingers and it's taken away and they are told what to do. But because there are natural rights, because we are given these rights by God, and are told to live them out, to live by our consciences. It's something to to witness that teachers are actually standing up for this. And in all states, California, how wonderful is that? So this case is yet to be ruled upon, but just by hearing, but just by hearing what the U.S. District Court Judge Roger Benitez said that this is a this policy of parental exclusion is a trifecta of harm. I'm going to remember that. It's a trifecta of harm. And he actually put in a preliminary injunction so that teachers in the school district did not have to enforce this parental exclusion policy. That is a very good sign, especially in the state of California. And on top of that, you have two teachers in a hostile environment 
which is education, taking a stand. And at the same time, you also have a whole legal team, which is formed not only in their defense, but in the defense of teachers in the future who most likely will face issues like this if they have moral objections to lying to parents and lying to children. So way to go to these two teachers, way to go to the U.S. District Judge, way to go to the Thomas More Society. Really cool story. All right, so we just discussed this past case, which is active with the Thomas More Society. But on top of that, I found a victory um, by the Thomas More Society that they were involved in. And that is for a Las Vegas student or student group to speak openly on behalf of the pre-born in public schools. I'm going to, and like I said, I'm not going to say public schools, government schools. So just, I'm going to start, you know, hinting at my language change. And at some point in the very near future, I'm just going to flat out say government schools. But for now, when you hear public, think government schools. I continue. On February 20th of this year, the Clark County School District concluded in a settlement agreement with the high school Students for Life Club, which Students for Life is wonderful. I know a ton of people there. Great group. As well as two former students from the group to end a prohibition of pro-life speech, pro-life speech excuse me, and protect against future bans throughout the district's more than 300 schools. Now, Joanne Mannix, who is from the Thomas More Society executive, she said this, this public taxpayer-funded school district and high school were actively violating the Equal Access Act, the Nevada Constitution, and the United States Constitution, apparently due to ongoing bias against the club's pro-life beliefs and actions. She continues, we are pleased that the negotiations for the settlement have resulted in revisions to school's handbook and a memorandum to district administrators, reminding them that students are not exempt from the First Amendment. It's regrettable that administrators of the fifth largest school district in the country needed this reminder. In fact, their own regulations prohibit discriminating against student clubs on the basis of religious, political, philosophical, or other speech content. This is like such an easy case to win. It's fascinating that this had to even had to go forward in a case, but nonetheless, it makes for makes for a good a good victory for us to report on. So, yet another win for freedom of speech in general. And when we look at these cases, whenever you see a a victory like this, you can't just label it as a win for the pro-life realm, though we can take it as that because it's the group that's being discriminated against. But it is a win for freedom of speech in general, because let's say some other group opposing Christianity or opposing the pro-life view that came forward and they were being discriminated against. Well, now the pro-lifers have just set precedent and have held this school district accountable to their own regulations, which is insane. But now that means that in future, other groups will not be discriminated against either. Or if they are, there's precedent sent. So this is a win for freedom of speech in general, but the pro-lifers set the precedent. Way to go, guys. Alrighty, next up, West Virginia's house has passed a bill to allow farmers to sell raw milk directly to consumers. And it is most likely to pass the West Virginia Senate as well. So it could be coming into play very shortly this year. And this is like a very, very far departure from my reporting on pro-life victories and free speech victories. But this is a regulation red tape victory. So we have seen this movement uh, sweeping across states. And it's really cool to see because people have woken up, I think, many people anyway, have woken up to the fact that the food system in America is not okay. (laughs) It's making people very sick. It's, I would dare to say, killing people off. And 
it's harming people. And so now we see people taking credible action in order to correct the system or at least provide an alternative to what is being offered. And so I reported on this a couple of weeks ago that I believe is New Mexico, I believe is New Mexico had come out with a, a similar policy and per- permissions, allowances to help people get good quality real food into their hands and so I'm really happy to see that West Virginia which I thought of all places I didn't even look into West Virginia I thought of all places they would have a a law in place an allowance in place so that this could happen but hey they're moving forward with it and I'm really happy to see it next up we're gonna fly through a couple of these Tennessee's governor Bill Lee has signed a law allowing people to refuse to preside over homosexual unions, which they are deeming as marriages. And people on the left and right, again, are opposed to this. And also people on the left and right are in favor of this. I actually have a an individual who is very high ranking in the UK bureaucracy. I'll just leave it at that. And he reached out to me because I put this out on, on Twitter and on my Instagram. And he was so happy about this. And I was like, of all people... And he said, we, the LGBT community, has been taken off the rails. All we wanted was recognition. We did not want marriage. And I was like, wow, interesting. And on top of this, Tennessee also came out and banned LGBT or what they're calling pride, rainbow, whatever flags in classrooms uh, of government schools. And I, again, he he was like, I am so in favor of this. And I'm like, why is it? Why is it the... I have Christians and I have individuals who identify as gay reaching out to me. And these are the people who are telling me this is really good. And then I have the trans individuals who are so adamantly opposed to this. I'm like, there is very interesting lines being drawn here. Anyway, so as he talked to me about briefly just about the the flags being banned from classrooms, he and I had this mutual agreement that if it's a government building, the government flagpole, if it is a government school, it doesn't matter. Government agency, it doesn't matter. There should not be ideologies pushed. It should be pro whatever country. So America in this case, uh, the American flag being flown and the state flag. So of all people to reach out and say this is good, fascinating to me, and nonetheless, very happy to to see this moving forward in Tennessee. Alrighty, and the final big piece of good news is that medical professionals in Germany, of all places, have admitted that puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones are not helping children. There was a systemic literature review, and it was with regards to treating gender dysphoria in children. And the last sentence of this, this review says this, current evidence does not clearly suggest the gender dysphoria symptoms and mental health significantly improve when puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones are given to adolescents. How brilliant. I am so happy to see this. There was so much uh, uh, happening in Europe with regards to the treatment of gender dysphoria. People are not addressing it in the schools, though. That's that's the major issue, is that it's swept through popular society, but the classrooms are filled with gender ideology And that's why so many children, I mean, look at the stats happening in America. It's up by hundreds of percents of individuals identifying within the LGBT groups. And so this is something that needs to be addressed. We can talk about from a medical perspective how it is gender dysphoria. But if we do not get back to what is being taught, hammered into, fed, spoon fed to our children in the classroom, then this thing will not 
course correct. And so really happy to see this in Germany, in Sweden, across several nations within the European Union. This is really good to see. We just need it to start happening again in America. So we got to wait probably another two, three years for that to start having a shift because whatever again happens in Europe takes about two to five years to start happening in America. So let's pray this clock is sped up and it starts taking root again here in America. And when I say it taking root, I mean common sense. So way to go, Germany. And with that, there you go. There is the good news report for this Thursday. Thank you everyone for your support. I am so grateful. I keep saying it, but you guys blow my mind away every single time with every donation. It means so much. It helps make the program go round and reach more people. So with that, thank you very much. You can donate cash app, PayPal at Matea Murda. Also, if you would press that five-star rating on this program, because then more people will be able to see it. We can get the good news out. With that, have a wonderful day. I love you. God loves you. Take care.